and welcome to this Property Life podcast. This evening I'm joined by the lovely Caroline Claydon up there in Scotland. How are you today, Caroline? I'm good. It's late at night as we're recording this and it's been a full on day. I feel like every five minutes is accounted for at the moment. What about you? You'll feel the same. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same. Um, we've both got big projects on at go at the moment, haven't we? And not just projects that are that are big and challenging, but then we've got pipeline that's coming through, yep. which is also taking up a bit of headspace. And <laughs> yep. um, yeah, you just kind of wonder, well, have I got any headspace left? Yeah, and then when you add in kids and the like, admin of of just house. That's just that's just too much. Like my kids had got this little T-shirt that I need to pick up for his uniform show or whatever. It's been in the shop for about four weeks. Still not picked it up. It's just like shunted down the priority list. There we are. Yes, adulting, as I've said many times in the last month, is absolutely rubbish, and I give it one star out of five. Yeah. I'd like my money back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've got lots of questions to get through tonight. Yeah, so I thought just for a change, what we might do um, on tonight's podcast is just have a look at some of the questions that um, we've been asked through the Property Wealth System Network. So we have a range of different um, experience levels within our network. Um, and so we get lots of different questions on all sorts of things. And mm. it will probably be quite interesting for the listeners just to hear some of those questions. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what the answers are um, as we see fit, Caroline, I guess. Sure. Excellent. All right. So I'm going to crack on. I'm going to read the questions out, Caroline. And if you want to jump in with some answers and um, I'll uh, throw my tuppence worth in as we go through. Okay. Yeah. First question. Auctions. Mm. Okay. I've been reading all the conditions and such and just realized today whilst registering for a bid that I have to have money ready for each lot I bid on. If I lose the bid, they redeposit the money back into my account. I've had a, my eye on a few things, but I don't have that much capital ready in my bank account to be deposited just like that. How do you handle auctions? Hmm. There's yeah. Well, this I guess this is the the online version versus the in person version, of course, isn't it? Um, yes, I, I guess. Well, I think that the the having the the deposit money or or some sort of exchange money ready kind of counts for both both sides of those um yeah to an extent and whilst they 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 basically pre-authorize your card or your yeah. account don't they which yeah. kind of reserves the money in its source place yeah and then uh the bank will then give it back to you if you're not successful that process though however can take up to three or four working days yeah so it can really affect uh cash flow and um and your banking i guess can't it well if you're going for let's say or you have your eye on maybe three or four different lots in the same auction on the same night that doesn't mean you need three or four times right. that deposit so that that battles or crosses off that issue um also does it need to be your cash could it be someone else's cash that's you know, pre pre-approved, or could it be you know funds from another source, say credit cards or personal loan that you could access? Yeah. Really, the auction house just want to be comfortable that when you win that bid, that you're good for it. 
Yeah, because ultimately when that um, that bid closes and if you are the winning bidder, you will have exchanged. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the, the point of this and that you're exactly right. The auction company want to know that that they've got a viable sale on their hands yeah. and that you can follow through with it. But I think you're right. Let's let's look at where that money can come from. So it's not your um, your savings in your account or your monthly outgoings that you've, you've got ready waiting for the mortgage to be paid. It can go on credit cards. Obviously, it will depend on the amount that you're going to be bidding on and the type of, of purchase you're going to be um, going for. But if you're looking at some of the, um, you know, your standard two bed buy to lets up in the north or the northwest, um, then hopefully we're not going to be, uh, you know, pre-authorizing too much of an amount on your on your um, bank account. The other angle, though, that's probably worth mentioning at this point is because I've been asked, been asked a lot about auctions recently. And I'm just saying to my students, just wh why are you needing to go to auctions? There's so many other deals available that you don't even need to put yourself under that extra pressure of buying under the auction conditions because, you know, vendors' attitudes have changed. We have seen that over the last month or two. You know, agents are getting very twitchy about how things are moving. And therefore, this idea that you get the bargains in the auctions, that doesn't exist really anymore. There are enough deals to be had under normal buying conditions where you don't need to have those deposits sat there. So, you know, if I was starting out right now, again, with absolutely no capital whatsoever, I wouldn't be shopping in an auction. I just yeah. I just wouldn't put myself in that position. Um because you just don't need to. There are other deals out there for you to be had. So I know that probably doesn't answer the question about the deposits, but it's just another angle to look at this and think, well, okay, you've got your eye on a few things. The question you want to be asking yourself is, can you get them pre-auction? Can you, can you be getting to the vendor and solving their situation without needing it to go to auction so that you can get that deal um, over the line um, before you actually even need to... To go down that route yeah i think i'd agree completely so i think you know to answer that question how do you handle auctions um if you're going to put the money down on a bid that you want um you know look at where that money's coming from can you look at credit cards to bridge that for yourself and um, just because then it, it doesn't uh, interrupt your bank account and your cash flow um and if not let's just look at buying pre-auction or post-auction i think post-auction is definitely my favorite on that one yeah yeah. Okay. Another question that has come in. Has anyone experienced a severe down valuation from a lender? I.e. you have solid comparables with a quarter mile radius and the surveyor still down values the property. In this case scenario, the surveyor is not interested in the valuation pack. What is the best approach? Oh, we've all been there. Oh, okay. You know, this is part of the game. You know, you got to expect this to happen. I mean, we, we we teach our students, don't we, to be super cautious on what we think the back end value is going to be that a surveyor gives us. But that doesn't legislate for a surveyor who's absolutely not interested in even seeing comparables. I think we've had we've definitely had a down valuation of over 100 grand on one of our projects. You've got a couple of options. Uh, you can try and contest and give all your evidence. You're not going to get very far with that, though, are you? No, they don't like to be proved wrong and they will never admit it. 
you know, surveyors are very analytical with their personality types, so they've got to be right. And therefore, you coming along and telling them that they're wrong is not going to go down well. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, option one, not going to be successful with that. Um, I've had a few students that have been, but they are in the minority. Yeah. Next option, next option is my preferred, and that's just go back to your broker, start a new finance process with a new lender that uses a different surveyor. That's yes. it. It, yes. Yeah, I mean, it slows everything down. You maybe lose two, three months, but I'd rather lose two to three months and get a valuation of my money out rather than not. So, yeah. And I guess it does depend on, um, you know, how much it's been downvalued. If it's downvalued by 10 to 20K, yeah. then let's just look at a different way of, of, you know, having that money left in. Whose money is it going to be? How are we going to service that? And, and you know work out a solution that way i've had a nil valuation before which was a lot of fun um for an hmo and uh that was in an area where hmos it wasn't an article four area it was yes there's hmos in this area but it's not known particularly for its hmo um performance and uh the the value went in on behalf of i think it was precise and just went it's too hard. We don't know. There's, we can't find any comparables, even though there were plenty. Um, they decided that they couldn't find any. And uh, they also said, it's just too different from a house. So I can't even do it that way. So we've got zero. Uh, and when I spoke to a different broker about that, they said, oh, my God, you never have used Precise in that scenario. So, again, I think take a step back. And make sure that you're really talking to your broker. Try a couple of different brokers. Sometimes they have off days like we all do. And mm. just make sure that, that everyone truly understands the product that you're the house that you're going to go and value, because that can help as well. Yeah, no, I've had a zero valuation before. And I, I remember having a heart attack when I opened it and saw zero. And you thought, oh, I've bought something that's worthless. But actually, it was because, again um uh 25% of the the floor space was above a commercial unit and virgin money who was the who was going to be the the lender um doesn't you know lend against uh, properties above commercial so it was a zero valuation so again you just that that's probably the lowest you can get isn't it zero yeah i don't think anyone's ever done negative but um but yeah, I get again. I had an HMO because HMO is probably the ones that you will have challenges with, right? Because again, surveyors might not know what they are, or it is too difficult, or is this a commercial valuation, or is it a bricks and mortar valuation? Um, but you have got a wee bit of flexibility if it's not too crazily downvalued that you can get up to 80% loan to values on those types of products. So where you might have thought, I'll take 75% out of it. If it's downvalued by anywhere within that 5%, we'll just take an 80% product and then that just covers the problem. Yeah. And moving on to then our third question, does anyone know the best method in the current market to value an HMO? So we have kind of covered that. And literally this question is, it depends. It massively depends, doesn't it? It's just, it's really hard People come to us and ask us questions and we, we don't give them a hard and fast this is how it is you know locations and all sorts come into play don't they they really do and you know we can give 
some um, experiential guidelines uh, around is it an article four area how many bedrooms does it have is it radically altered from um, you know a, a house that is, is a normal uh, residential house and you know you can ask these questions and um, and the answers of you know yes it's in article four it's got six bedrooms it's got en suites you know they they can point towards a commercial valuation Mm. Um, but it does depend which lender you go with. Yep. Even in that area where you, and you might have sweet generous um, use class uh, and it can still kind of depend on the lender. So there's so many different variables on how HMOs are valued that there literally is no one answer. Um, but the best way, I guess, to, well, the ways that I find out if I'm into new areas where I don't know, I'll talk to other landlords that have got, properties in that area and see how they've been valued I'll talk to my broker um, and see what sort of valuations they're getting back because they are working in you know little uh, microcosms of, of location around the country where they will kind of understand you know which lenders are doing what things in what postcodes yeah yeah it is it's I think people really miss the cue on the importance of the lender in property they're all about you know the kitchens the bathrooms the builders you know getting the discount but they don't pay enough attention to who's actually going to be doing the lending and therefore who's actually valuing it yeah and of course whether you're eligible for that as well because i know for my uh first commercial hmo back in the day uh which was through shawbrook um, you know, it was it was nip and tuck as to whether they would actually lend to me based on my experience back in those days. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, you could say, well, no, Shawbrook are, are valuing all those HMOs up in, um, you know, in L6 and L7 in Liverpool on a commercial valuation with this type of a yield and blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, if I wasn't experienced enough at that time, they wouldn't lend to me. So, yeah. And of course, these banks can change their mind like the wind. You can be in the midst of a project knowing fine well that they're going to lend on it. And then three months down the line, they're like, actually, we've changed our appetite. We've changed our criteria. And so we have to be rolling with the punches constantly. Don't wait. Exactly what did happen in Liverpool, didn't it? When we were building up our HMO portfolios in that, that postcode. And yeah. um, Shawbrook was the major commercial lender and I think they had someone come in, look at their books and went, blimey, we're a bit overexposed. And we stopped and they stopped lending. I think we were one of the very last of that time period um, that got a, a commercial valuation put through and, and it completed um, because they literally pulled the product overnight. I know. I mean, look, lend, we, could, we could actually do an entire podcast episode just on lending stories and what banks have done to us as investors over the over the piece, you know, pooling development finance in the 11th hour when you're about to draw down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's for another day. That is for another day. All right, on to one that is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not one that you want to have a question when you're having your tea. Okay, one of our buy-to-lets was left in a very poor state by the last tenants. Oh the bottom of the stairs stinks of dog pee. We've removed the carpets and it's soaked into the concrete. Has anyone got any ideas of how to remove the smell? Well, I'm a big believer in bicarbonate soda and vinegar. That's my little go-to on a smelly situation. What about you, Sarah? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we've we've literally we're living through this at the moment, not into concrete, but um, we had a, a brand new buy to let that was um, a commercial to residential. Someone's been in there for six months. Sadly, they've got some issues. Um, they've they've left the property um, in horrific state. They had two massive dogs that were just left all day. Um, there is literally dog mess everywhere <laughs> in the property. Um, so we haven't had dog pee so much, but yeah, certainly the other. Um, what people have said to me is there is um, a, a product called ozone or something like that, ozone generator, and Jay's fluid, which has its own remarkable smell as well. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's there's a few things. I think it does depend on the material that it's got into, but mm. maybe we need a clean and expert one day to um, to really help us on all of this. Wow. I mean, I was always just a fan of a lick of paint that sorts out smoke and animals and all sorts, but it's actually soaked into the fabric of the building then, yeah beyond vinegar and bicarbonate i'm a bit stuffed you're out fair enough all right let's move on to the next question all right this one is definitely for you caroline because i cannot answer it um options in scotland so yeah. if i turn a four-bed residential into a five-bed hmo would that be eligible for an option or is hmo resi if no could i use an option if i turned it into serviced accommodation Okay, so this question is interesting because we're, we're kind of muddling two things up here. Um, I'm, I'm assuming when they're asking about options, are they talking about lease options? Yes, I think Okay, are. okay. So when it comes to lease options in Scotland, it, it's, it's very irrelevant if it's resi or commercial. I think historically, way back, say, let's say, you know, 20 years ago when options first came to the UK, um, you know, they were groundbreaking in the residential market. They've always been around in the commercial market. But what um, the Lost Sight of Scotland didn't like and that they put a stop to was the actual option part of it. You know, so a lease option is the option to buy, not the obligation. Scotland didn't like that. And so what they insisted on is um, the missives to be completed at the agreed price. And then you could have a delayed completion. So it's not actually an option. It's just an exchange with a delayed completion, if you like. That changed back in early 2019. So they have now opened up again to be able to, to be done in resi property. Um, so the whole HMO element of this and the resi element of this is completely irrelevant mm -hmm. to options in its entirety. Um it's easier if the property is owned in a limited company to option it. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't get too hot under the collar about what type of property it is and if it's eligible for options. There's very few solicitors in Scotland that are comfortable with doing options on resi just because it's not really common practice. Very few people know about it or have heard about it. But if you've got a vendor and yourself who understands it and are keen for it to move forward, then there are a couple of solicitors that are, are quite open to, to pulling it together. But let's take the other part of the question now, which is a four-bed resi turning into a five-bed HMO. Would that be a, a yeah, so that that's fine in itself. You can do that. That's no issue. Um and could I use an option if I turned it into SA? So yeah, you could turn that four-bed resi 
into a five bed HMO or SA, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't impact the option at all. Is that precise enough? I don't know yes. if I answered the question. <laughs> okay, our sixth question. Um, and this kind of, it's probably been covered around our HMO um, valuation uh, question, but uh, we'll go for it anyway. Has anyone done any serviced accommodation deals above a retail outlet? And how does it affect the refinance? Mm. A mixed use uh, property. Yeah, well, I guess it depends. Well, if it's in Edinburgh or Scotland, then you'd have to get your license. Um, first, and foremost, first and foremost. But how does it affect the refinance? Well, I guess like any refinance, they would look at, uh, you'd need to have a lender that number one will lend above commercial. Number two will give you some kind of commercial lending on the basis that it's SA and not resi or hmo or whatever i think that's what my take on is it what about you sarah yeah i think you know whether you decided that you were gonna um split the titles um you know maybe um split out the the essay aspect of it how big is that essay we're, we're not sure from the question that we've been given but if, if we're assuming it's like a three-bedroom flat that they wanted to essay you could put it through to, to c3 keep the retail as a separate um, split those titles obviously that has um, its own complications and and added complexities um, but it could help on the refinance otherwise you just need to find a lender who is open to mixed use commercial you know someone like Shawbrook is going to do that sort of thing um, generally all day long and yes you will pay for it um, but as long as the numbers work um, and if you're sweating that property as much as you can in terms of, of using it as a serviced accommodation um, and then obviously getting, getting a good tenant in the retail outlet, then mm. you know that, that should work okay. Yeah, we're not clear from the question if if they own the retail outlet or if it just is an SA unit above a retail. Yeah. But you're right, that splitting the title would be a great way of, of doing it. Although, is that sledgehammer to crack or not? Depends on the size of it, like you say, in the it value. Does. Doesn't it, it does. I mean, if we looked at... Um, uh, you know, some of our, our PWS trainers, um, like Paul Murray and Alex Murray, for example, who are doing, well, it's a hotel above um, a, I, th I think it's a restaurant or it's retail, something yeah. like that, in Leeds city centre, completely different thing, hey? It's uh, it's a commercial valuation on both both sides. They don't, they actually only own the hotel above. Yeah. Um, and it being, and having a commercial outlet below makes no odds whatsoever to their refinance. Yeah, spot on. There we are. Okay. Um, going forward on serviced accommodation, what are the new regulations? Well, that again depends on what part of the country you are living in. Um, so yes, Scotland has gone forth and uh, and forged its own way, haven't you, Caroline? <laughs> Lord knows how that is going to look in a year's time. Lord knows it's wild, really wild. Like. It, they have just taken a sledgehammer to the whole industry. Um, up, look, it, it's great for, for me to have a hotel business. That means that, you know, lack of Airbnbs, for example, then have dr driven the room rate and the demand through the roof. But imagine the people who have, you know, three, four, five, six, seven of these units that they've been you know, running as their business suddenly, boom, gone overnight. It's, an, it's, it's wild. I, I don't think it's going to stay that way. 
I think there's legislation, well, I think litigation, I should say, litigation coming against um, the councils. I don't think the council know really what they're doing. They're just refusing everybody, even if they do have their own main entrance. Um, and so as it stands at the moment, if you want to do SA at all in Scotland, you need to go for planning to get a license to allow you to do it if you haven't had that unit running for 10 years previously. Oh, and you need to get a little petition together from all your neighbours to say that they're quite happy for it to continue. Good luck on that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously in England, um, we have had some change to regulations as well, which was uh, effective from the 1st of October. Um, and that is mainly around fire safety. Um, the best place to find out information on that is to um, come to any education provider um, like Property Wealth System, but also um, you can go to um, Visit England websites. There's still webinars running on those fire safety, and it does depend on the type of, of house or property that you have. Um, and you are given a couple of years leeway on some items in terms of things like interlinked uh, smokes. But essentially, these are all things just to keep you safe keep yeah. your guests safe and just allow us all to sleep at night in terms of fire safety. They're a great thing in my opinion. Um, I think, it, you know, it, it does raise the standards. Um, I, I'm sure whilst this is happening that there's not going to be enough inspectors out there to go through and actually ensure that the standards are being adhered to. But as professionals, you know, we would say read, the, read it through, get a professional fire risk assessment done and make sure you action everything on that FRA. Um, you can do it yourself if you think you're competent enough, your property is small enough. Um, but ultimately, these are, you know, this is safety, fire safety. Don't take it lightly um, and just get your FRA done and uh, and abide by the, the guidance on there. Brilliant. Good, good, good. Okay. And I think, oh no, we are, we have got one more question for this evening. Okay. We are in the final stages of our first refurb. I have a quick question, if that's okay. What does everyone do for window furnishings before they rent out a property? Mm. I've been comparing rental prices nearby and noticed that some of the recently refurbished properties like ours have nothing on the windows, no blinds, no curtains, etc. What does everyone else do? Ooh. Very specific question. That is very specific. I think, well, we I think we put blinds in on our rentals. I'm pretty sure we do. Again, I would be going to the letting agent saying, what's what's the market expecting? Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, this um, I think people often ask when it's when it's your first one and you don't you don't have a um, a recipe of, of what you did last time. People often go, well, should I put cookers in? Should I put fridges in? Should I put washing machines in? Um, and everyone kind of has a different answer, don't they, as to what they might do. Um, but I think there's no right or wrong, as you, as you said. Go to talk to your letting agent. See what's expected in the market. Um, we do tend to put blinds on. I don't put curtains on just because um, I think that sometimes people can be quite heavy-handed with curtain and it can often <laughs> rip off. Uh, and, you know, cause cause damage, especially in my student places. You know, I, I, I don't have any um, anything there. But in my buy-to-lets, I'll put blinds up. Um, and on the appliances question, it wasn't asked, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Um, you know, we put in 
hobs, obviously extractor fans and ovens, um, but we don't put in anything around washing machines. Um, and sometimes we don't put fridges or freezers in, um, but sometimes we do. And it kind of depends what the letting agents are telling us. Yeah, I, I think always just have in your mind, whatever you put in, you're then responsible for. So if they come in and go, oh, this blind is squint or it doesn't, it, you know, it, it's not blackout. It lets the light in. Can you get something better? You're just like, oh, you know, maybe it's just sometimes it's just not to put the blind in at all and let them sort it out. It's just, yeah, depends on what your appetite is for that kind of thing. Absolutely. And also, I guess, who your tenant profile is um, as well. If you're doing luxury buy-to-let in the middle of London, um, then, you know, oh, yeah. all out <laughs> and get some good stuff going on in there. If you're doing um, a two-bedroom buy-to-let um, where, you know, your rental price might be 600 a month, um, it's slightly less uh, less desirable to put all the bells and whistles in yeah so what kind of projects have you got uh, uh up your sleeve for the next couple of weeks what have you what are you going to be doing for the next couple of weeks sarah so our main project at the moment is worksy which is a co-working um brand that we are just about to launch the first one in southport so that is um really exciting that the build is probably about two or three weeks away depending on who you ask Mm-hmm. And um, we are, I'm, well, Rick is busy sorting out the, the build aspect of that. And I am busy doing floor plans to put into the software, which, you know, we'll be using to um, get the hot desk in done and the co-working spaces and all of that stuff. So I'm doing all the, the operations aspect, getting the website live. So, yeah, it's it's a full on time. And at the same time of that, we also have our second Worksy site, which has been secured and uh, work is starting on that one. That's down in Hampshire at the opposite end of the country. Um, so again, that's going to be good. That's that's still at the, the beginning stages. Uh, and then, of course, I've got to sort out this um, bite-to-let that's just, just been trashed. So it's all good fun. Nice. Now, tell me this, because it's very topical. How have you um, taken the news about WeWork and them filing for bankruptcy in America because obviously they were the ones that pioneered this whole co-working space and you're taking a part of their model and rolling that out. What does this mean for your business and what do you think they did wrong? Well, they didn't own their sites, um, so they didn't have control over the asset that they were uh, then putting out on license. So we, um, you know, and the rent-to-rent market in that type of thing generally can work okay. For them, it didn't. Um, but for, and they had a high cost base as well. Um, and when then occupancy um, fell off, you know, during the pandemic, it just never really recovered for them. So, um, you know, I think for us, we have a very, we have a very different model in terms of obviously we purchased the asset. Um, it is mixed use. So whilst Worksy is the co-working brand, you know, if I look at our, our building up in Southport, it's 10,000 square foot. And um, half of that won't be co-working space. Half of that is dedicated to um, other uses, other commercial uses, uh, which the market up there needs and wants. Um, And again, with our Hampshire one, again, that's a a 5,000 square foot site. And only half of that will be dedicated to the co-working brand. So it's about looking at the market and seeing what that market is demanding. So whether it be a bit of retail, um, restaurant, you know, we're putting in um, music rehearsal studios, 
and the one down in Hampshire. So I think it's just being a little bit more flexible, I guess. Um, and that's one thing about being a small operator. You can read the market and be flexible and move to the demand of your customer base. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, there we are. So that's it. You're going to smash WeWork. We're going to take WeWork on. Yeah. Roll it out. Work see. Watch out. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be good fun and uh, a few sleepless nights and um, long hours ahead of us, but it's going to be all good. What about yourself, Caroline? What's uh, you are hopefully a, a few weeks away as your, from your big projects as well. Yep. So Stafford Street, 11 Stafford Street should be live and open to the public within the next two weeks. We're aiming to have a soft opening by the end of next week. And by a soft opening, I mean, friends and family booking in and staying overnight and testing shower pressures and tech and all the systems are working okay. And that it's all user friendly and idiot proof. I think that's the key, right? With a with a hotel that's using systems, it's got to be idiot proof. And send my family in, and that will be the best possible. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully that will be next weekend. Um, we've got lots going on, roads getting dug up, and Wi-Fi and all sorts going on. So when when I go there, uh, you know, yesterday, today, tomorrow, you know, I do sort of flip out, thinking, God, how on earth is someone going to be walking through this the doors? In a week and a half's time, but we'll get there. Um, I've secured another uh, three angel investors for our new project. It's down in Lease, so that's going to be sixteen bedrooms. Um, but what's cool about this one is eleven of those rooms will be studios with kitchens and massive bathrooms, actual baths rather than just en suites, um, and five en suite rooms. Um, it's a much much bigger site. Um, we've got a drone company coming to do a drone footage of Stafford Street for our marketing as well on the 20th. So that's exciting. And I've been speaking to lots of lenders and you, you'll find this as well, Sarah, when you're in a, a, a market that's commercial and you're doing something a little bit different and quirky, lenders don't know which box to put you in. Yes. And traditionally, they'll like to see you already having run that business for at least a couple of years before they're then comfortable to lend. And if we're in a growth phase, which we always are, let's face it, I don't even know when we're not growing. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I'm trying to secure sensible lenders, lenders that actually use their brain rather than computers that says no, um, that actually can look at the overall holistic plan of your business and go, you know what, we will we'll lend on future purchases. Um and that, that's been a real eye-opener, speaking to these banks. They are all very in their own lane about yes. what they will and will not lend on. And I think there's a real opportunity for a potential bank to come along and be really dynamic um, behind the, the lending decisions. Um, but it's not there yet. I don't, I, I don't know who that person's going to be or who that group will be, but I'm sure it's coming. The market's crying out for it. Um, and uh, looking to complete on that second uh, purchase at the end of this month. And I've got three or four other sites that I'm looking at and crunching the numbers on that, again, are fairly lumpy. Um, and so, you know, going out to my existing angels and saying, Here's lots of other opportunities for you to lend your lend your money. And, oh, the interest rate's higher than it was the last time you lent. So that's been uh, really fun to see the excitement on their faces as well. So it's going to be um, a busy a busy end to 23 and a really busy start to 24, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And in, in amongst all that, within PWS, 
Um, we have a social uh, committee that have arranged for us to sleep rough on the 1st of December in Birmingham to help raise money to end uh, homelessness in the young. And so I have never been a fan of camping. I don't use chemical toilets. And here I am agreeing to sleep in a sleeping bag on the 1st of December uh, <laughs> with a bunch of strangers. So if anyone's interested in sleeping with me on the 1st of December, give me a bell and I'll uh, hook you up. Well, and there's an offer, isn't there? <laughs> um, and and if, if, if no one fancies sleeping with you, Caroline, can they donate instead? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. There'll be a Just Giving link, I'm sure, in our uh, um, Facebook community page. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure spending the evening with you, Caroline, and mm -hmm. uh, wish you all the best with the soft launch for Stafford Street. And um, yeah. we will catch up soon. Good luck with the dog poo. Hope it oh. gets rid you get rid of that soon. <laughs> Thank you very much. See you soon. Take care.